This morning we are in 2 Peter. Buckle your seatbelts. Oh, well, you can't do that if you stand up. Stand up and hold your seats because um, this is an intense chapter. 2 Peter chapter 2. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. Second Peter chapter 2. Okay, here it is, verse 1. But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the Lord who bought them. And bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways, because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. For a long time, their judgment has not been idle, and their destruction does not slumber. For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell, and deliver them into chains of darkness... To, the, to be reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them as an example to those who afterward would live ungodly, and delivered righteous Lot, who was oppressed, By the filthy conduct of the wicked, for that righteous man dwelling among them tormented his righteous soul from day to day by seeing and hearing their lawless deeds. Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. Let's pray. Father, these are heavy words, and we need just a heavy portion of grace to understand them, Lord. We ask for that grace. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, you may be seated. So if this is, happens to be the first time that uh, you have visited here at Calvary Chapel and after reading these verses, Bible verses, along with us this morning, you may be thinking, what on earth have I gotten myself into? All I can say is this, I didn't roll out of bed this morning in a real bad mood and say to myself, I know what I'm going to do to those people. I'm going to read 2 Peter chapter 2 to them today. That didn't happen. We have been in the last five or six months reading through 1 and 2 Peter chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and behold, this morning, we just happened to be in 2 Peter chapter 2. You know, one of the reasons here at Calvary Chapel we study the Bible chapter by chapter, verse by verse, is because there is a temptation that every pastor has, including me, to avoid certain chapters, certain parts of the Bible, which are rather unpleasant to read and difficult to digest. And the temptation is to focus on those parts of the Bible which are pleasant and uplifting. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be the sons of God. Matthew 5, verse 9. 
problem is that gave, God gave us the whole Bible. Why? Because we need it. We need the whole Bible. I love this verse. It's in 2 Timothy. It says this, all scripture. In the Greek, the word all. Guess what in the Greek the word all means? It means all. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. So in order to avoid the temptation of picking and choosing my favorite subjects in the Bible, and yes, I have them. Just ask my wife and my kids. <laughs> We've chosen to go chapter by chapter, verse by verse, and not leapfrog at Calvary Chapter. So, uh, so I'm grateful, really, for that. You know why? Because there's a message in this chapter for you and for me. So much to learn from it. So we left off last week at the end of chapter 1. Chapter 1, verse 16. Let's just go briefly through a a couple of verses. Verse 16 of chapter 1 says this, For we did not follow cunningly devised fables when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. What he's saying there is is the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels, is an eyewitness account. It's not a myth. He's saying, I was there. I saw it. That's the point he's making. And then he says in verse 20, knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of private interpretation, meaning this Bible didn't come into being just by someone going on top of a mountain and just coming up with whatever came into their mind. No. It was not by private interpretation, but, verse 21, for prophecy, you can insert the Word of God, for the Word of God never came by the will of men, but by holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. In other words, it's reliable. It's God-breathed. It's solid on a rock. And, 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 and so the word of God, the, what is the God-breathed word? What is the heart and soul of it? It's this. It's the gospel. It's what the Bible calls the gospel. That's a churchy word. What is the gospel? The gospel, which is the heart and soul of what the Bible teaches, is this. One, that man was created in the image of God and was at the first in a perfect, loving, fully transparent relationship with God. That relationship with God was broken when man, Adam, when woman, Eve, chose sin, when they replaced God with themselves as the ultimate authority in their lives. I don't, wanna, I don't want God telling me what to do. I want me telling me what to do. That's what they did. We've all inherited that, every one of us in this room. God's penalty for sin the Bible says, the punishment, death and judgment. However, God has never wished death and judgment on man. So he sent his only son, Jesus, into the world as a savior 
So he loved us, so he loved you, he did that. And how is Jesus a savior? Number one, he lived a perfect life so that he could credit that perfect life to your account. Number two, he died for your sin. You deserve death and judgment. He suffered death and judgment for you. Number three, he rose from the dead to give you new life, a supernaturally empowered life. That life is characterized by what? We spent about five weeks going through this list. I was so blessed. There's a couple in the church who actually made bracelets with this little list on the bracelet. They showed me last Sunday, but here it is right here. Starts at the bottom with faith. You come, this is 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. You start with faith, faith in God. But you add to that moral excellence. You add to that knowledge. You add to that self-control. You add to that perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. Wow, interesting light action there. That, that's, that's new. Uh, although I, I have to say, um, faith is full of light as well. as. Uh, but, but clearly, um, I, I get it. That, that love is where God all, always wants to take every single one of us to a life that is characterized by love. And so um, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1 begins this way. So, 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 so that's the gospel, and that's the life that God wants us to live because of the gospel. And, and, and by the way, he says it's God breathes. It's not a myth. It's not a fable. We were eyewitnesses, but, oh no, verse 1. It says, but. There's some bad things coming. There were false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you. Now, keep in mind, these are his dying words. He's he's going to die soon. We know that from verses 14 and 15 of chapter 1. He knows he is. He's probably under sentence of death by this point. He was, uh, the apostle Peter was, um, he was executed by the, uh, the emperor Nero. But there were also false prophets among the people, even as there will be false prophets among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. We'll talk a little about what that is. Even denying the Lord who bought them and bring on themselves swift destruction. In other words, there will be those who come among you into your very presence They will begin to water down and tear down the gospel. And again, what is that? The gospel. That that man was originally created in the image of God, into a loving relationship with God, but that relationship with God was broken, but that every one of us have sinned and inherited as a result of that sin, death and judgment, but God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son who lived a perfect life for you, who died for your sin for you, he rose from the dead for you, and and that that now his will for your life is that you be brought into this. Can we have this uh, list again? Into this list of, of faith and, and moral excellence and love and self-control and perseverance. There will be those, Peter is saying in verse one, who come in and they try to water and tear all that down. Now, 
It's fascinating to me how similar these verses are to the Apostle Paul, his last words to the church of Ephesus says this, Acts chapter 20, verses 29 and 31. This is Paul speaking in Acts chapter 20 to the church of Ephesus right before he goes off to Jerusalem where he's going to be imprisoned and shipped off to Rome where he's going to die. He says that, I know that after I leave, savage wolves will come in among you and will not spare the flock. So be on your guard. Remember that for three years, I never stopped warning each of you night and day with tears. And then there's Jesus himself. This is what Jesus said. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing. They look like Christians. They may have a a Christian garb about them. They may wear a, a priest collar or or look like a pastor or a preacher. They look like Christians. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly, they are ferocious wolves. Wow. So what are we to make of all of this? Such powerful warnings from everyone, including Jesus himself. Well, we need to be oh so aware that the very same thing is happening to us to you in the United States of America in the year 2015. There are those, and there are many, who are doing everything in their power to water down, to tear down the word of God, and many of them look like sheep. They look like Christians. They call themselves Christians. Now, before going on to verse 2, let's pause. I want to point out something else about verse 1 that to me, it's a different issue, but it's incredibly powerful. Notice how in verse 1 it says, there are false prophets among the people, even as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly bring in destructive heresies even denying the Lord who bought them. Now I want you to pause and think about that phrase. The Lord who bought them. Wow. That is a shocking statement. What it is saying is that when Jesus went to the cross, by the way, the Bible says he was unrecognizable by the time he even got to the cross. He was beaten so bad. He had two iron stakes driven through his hands and another iron stake through his feet. And it says that he consciously died for These people, the false prophets. Now, that's a shocking statement in light of what this chapter says about these people. Look at verse 12. It says, but these, like natural brute beasts, made to be caught and destroyed, 
speak evil of the things they do not understand and will utterly perish in their own corruption and will receive the wages of unrighteousness as those who count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime. They are spots and blemishes carousing in their own deceptions while they feast with you, having eyes full of adultery and that cannot cease from sin enticing unstable souls that have a heart trained in covetous practices, they are accursed children. Verse 1 says, Jesus bought them. He died for them. He consciously had them on his mind when he went to the cross, when he was on the cross. Listen, there is no sin that you have committed then is bigger than what Jesus did for you on the cross. Man, if he bought, if he purchased these guys, he has certainly purchased you. The Bible says he gave his life as a ransom to the whole world. Okay. Back to our subject, verse two. End of pause, let's hit play button, verse two. And many will follow their destructive ways because of whom the way of truth will be blasphemed. In other words, Christianity will be mocked and roundly criticized because of what these men and women will draw people into. Verse three, by covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words for a long time, their judgment has not been idle and their destruction does not slumber, meaning they will be judged for what they're doing, is what he's saying. And so here in verse three, we get the motive. We get, why do these people do this? Why do they come in and try to water down and tear down the word of God? It says right there in the first two words, because of covetousness. Why do so many pastors, preachers, priests, others today, water down, tear down the gospel? Because of covetousness. In other words, they want something from you. In other words, they, 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 want, they want your money or They want a large following, a large following of people. They covet a large uh, audience. Or more likely, they just want acceptance from the world. They covet, they really want acceptance from the world, particularly the media, the world. They covet that praise, that acceptance. And so in verse 3, that's the motive. It's covetousness. Now, try to stay with me here. In order to understand the next four or five verses, you need to follow me here. One of the lines, one of the arguments they make in order to water down, tear down the word of God sounds like this. You ready? It sounds like this. There's not going to be any judgment for the lifestyle you're in. A God of judgment, a God who punishes people who are only doing what is natural? That is so harsh. God is a God of love. 
Jesus, yes, he's the son of God, but if someone doesn't believe that and chooses another way, God is not going to hold that against them. God is a God of love. He is not going to judge these people. He's not going to judge you. It's a very appealing argument. It appeals to our sympathy. But I just beg you, I just beg you here this morning, don't fall for it. In verses 4 through 9, the apostle Peter responds to it. In verses 4 through 9, Peter is saying, please don't believe them that God is not a God of justice, that God is not a God of judgment. Don't believe it. And he gives in verses 4, 5, and 6 three examples from the Bible where God did judge. Verse 4, he says, For if God did not spare the angels who sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved for judgment, that, that, now that there is a reference to the rebellion of the angel Lucifer and many angels with him. And in what he's saying, God is a God of judgment. Yes, he's long-suffering, he's patient, but he does judge. He judged certain angels. In fact, Jesus himself in Luke chapter 10 says this. Jesus said to his disciples, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. That's a reference to the judgment of Satan. So here in verse 4, uh, you see God judging Lucifer and many angels. What was the sin of Satan, by the way? It was pride. Verse 5, another example of how God does judge. And, and, and God did not spare the ancient world, but saved Noah, one of eight people, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood on the world of the ungodly. So here you see God judging the world at the time of Noah. What was the sin of the people at the time of Noah? Anybody? Shout it out. What? What was the sin of the people of the world at the time of Noah? Violence. That's right. The earth was also corrupt before God, and the earth was filled with violence. God's not okay with incredibly violent video games. He's not okay with the violence of abortion. He's not okay with wars that, that, that are, are, are aggressive and they're just done for the sake of you know, increasing our oil interests. It, it, he's not okay with that. And this, this, none of this is a political statement. And of course, you know, with, with all sin, including abortion, some of us in here, we have the sin on our past, but, but, but there's grace for that. But he's saying, don't believe the people who are saying it's okay. Don't do that. Verse 6. He says, and here's another example of judgment. In turning, he turned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them to destruction, making them as an example to those who afterward would live un. Godly. What was the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah? It was widespread acceptance of homosexuality. That was, that's what the sin was. That's what the Bible says, Genesis chapter 19. People say, well, I was born that way. To which I say, well, I was born a violent man. And look at the previous verse. 
You know, it's really shameful for me to get up here as I have in the past and share with you the violence of my past. I was a violent man. My senior year of college, I got into a fight. I have this big scar. You're welcome to look at it up close after the service if you can't see it now. I was a violent man. Every single person in this room was born with some kind of inclination to sin. Every single one of us. But, 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 but look at God died so that we don't have to stay in the sin. In other words, he, accept us, he accepts us whatever inclination we may have, just the way we are, sin and all, but he doesn't want us to stay that way. So listen, what Peter is saying here in these verses is this, people under the pretense of religion, under the pretense of Christianity, even pastors, preachers, priests, seminary professors are doing it. My daughter is sharing with me that the professor at her Christian college is doing this. Are, not, are, are going to try to convince you that what the Bible calls sin is not sin. Don't let him do that. These are his dying words, Peter's dying words. Don't buy into that. It plays to our sympathy, yes, but don't let him do it. Jesus died to pay the penalty for the sin, not for you to remain in it. Everyone with me? Let's go down to verse 9. Verses um, 7 and 8 are a further description of Sodom and Gomorrah. Verse 9 says, Then the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation. And I'm so thankful for that. You say, well, I'm not godly. And I say, neither am I. The only godliness I have is because Jesus died for me on the cross, and therefore the Bible says that before God, I am perfect in Christ, godly, and he knows how to deliver me out of temptation. There is no temptation that has overtaken you except what is common to man. But God is faithful, and he's faithful to provide a way of escape so that you can bear up under it. I'm so thankful for this. It says God knows how to deliver the godly out of temptation, but we can't leave out the second part of this verse and to reserve the unjust under punishment for the day of judgment. Verse 10, and especially those who walk according to the flesh. In the lust of uncleanness and despise authority, they are presumptuous and self-willed. And so really here again is the heart of the problem. They are self-willed. And, and that's what all of us come out of our mother's womb, self-willed. But brothers and sisters, self-will is demonic. The sin of Satan, Isaiah 14, what is it? I will, I will, I will, I will. Even though God says, you, you shouldn't. That's, that's, it's demonic, that part of us. And, and, and it says that's the, the, the motive here. It's covetousness. It's self-will. It says, and then in the latter part of the verse, they are not afraid to speak evil of dignitaries. Now, this is a tough verse. Some believe dignitaries means angels. They're not afraid to speak evil of angels, these false prophets, these people who infiltrate you. 
You know, that may be the case. There's a similar verse in the book of Jude, but I believe that, that there is a broader application here. They're not afraid to speak evil of anyone or anything in authority. Well, I know the commentators of the Bible for the last 2,000 years have said this, but who really are they? Who really are they? So, so um, they're just old-fashioned bigots. That's what they are. And, and so, so often, this is, this is the word. It's they call good evil. If you're speaking the Bible, you're evil. And they play to our sympathies. That's what they do. That's what they do. And so let's continue. In verse 11, it says, Whereas angels, who are greater in power and might, do not bring a reviling accusation against them before the Lord. In other words, angels respect authority, but they no longer have any regard for authority. Verse 12, But these... Like natural brute beasts, eek, made to be caught and destroyed, speak evil of the things they do not understand and will utterly perish in their own corruption and will receive the wages of unrighteousness as they who count it pleasure to carouse in the daytime. They are spots and blemishes carousing in their own deception while they feast with you. That's a reference to the love feast, the fellowship that they used to have in the early church. They would just come right into the um, fellowships and say, hey, how you doing? All right, brother, sister. Yeah, let's break bread together. Verse 14, but they have eyes full of adultery that cannot cease from sin, enticing unstable souls. They have a heart trained in covetous practices and are accursed children. Now keep in mind, Jesus died for them. Verse one says he bought them. So just meditate on the grace of God there. But verse 15 says they have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Beor, who loved the wages of of unrighteousness, but he was rebuked for his own, own iniquity. A dumb donkey speaking with a man's voice restrained the madness of the prophet. Now, what on earth is all that talking about? Balaam and a donkey speaking? What's all that about? It's the book of Numbers. You don't have to turn there with me, but really one of my favorite stories in the Bible, the book of Numbers, Balaam. Israel had been rescued from Egypt, 40 years in the wilderness, and they were on their way to the land of promise, the, the land flowing with milk and honey. And they were on the way, and the nations that were in their path were really, really, really scared because they had heard of what had happened in Egypt, and they had heard that they were just defeating everything in their path and that God was with them. And so there was this prophet. He was a prophet. His name was Balaam. And he was hired by one of the enemy kings, Balak, for a lot of money to curse Israel. And so Balak hired Balaam to curse Israel. And so there's this Three or four chapters in the book of Numbers is the story where they, Balak brings Balaam to these high mountains. The nation of Israel is, is approaching in a vast army. They're marching to the, to the promised land. 
And, and Balaam gets up there to curse them, and out of his mouth, instead of a cursing, comes a blessing. And Balak is furious because he's paid him a bunch of money. So he goes to another mountain. He says, try from this mountain. Same thing happens. Balaam blesses instead of curses. Gets angry again. Takes him to another mountain. What happens? Blesses him again. And, and, and finally, uh, Balak is so upset, he just says, get out of here. Go to your home. But then, a little while later, a couple months later, may have been a couple of years, Balaam was asked again, how do we defeat these people? And Balaam, what he said was this, listen, these people, you're not going to be able to defeat them from the outside by a curse. But man, if you send your women into their camp and get their men to have sex outside of marriage, of course, with them, God is a God of judgment, and he will be forced to judgment, and that's exactly what happened. And I love the story so much because it is a picture to me that no matter what circumstances that we're in, so overwhelming, we can always have confidence that no matter, it can be the entire Soviet and North Korea army coming against us. We can know that we're going to be victorious in Christ. An enemy or whatever circumstances in your life, in your family, in your job or whatever, that can't defeat you. You can only be defeated by allowing into your life a sin, a practice, or laying hold of, of some kind of thing that's against the word of God. That's the only way you're going to be destroyed. Love that story. But Balaam, it says here, it says that, um, these false prophets, they followed the way of Baal, Balaam, which is they, they love the money. And, and, it, and it talks here about their ignorance. And, and it took verse 16, a dumb donkey to, to really tell Balaam that what he was doing was wrong. It, that's, that's how ignorant he was. That's how stupid he was. Verse 17, it says this. These, still speaking about these people who water down the word of God, says these are wells without water. Clouds carried by a tempest for whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. So wells without water and clouds, meaning a cloud filled with water, but this really, it's just a mirage. It's in, a, in wind or in a tempest and it just is blown away. And so, the thinking here is, is that this area here is a very dry, dry area. I mean, these people knew what it was to be really, really, really thirsty. Now, I have a challenge for you. Do any one of you, I'm, I want you to raise your hand on this one. Do you remember the day in your life that you were most thirsty? Thirsty for a drink. Do you know that day? Can you remember it? Any, any hands? Anyone else? Okay. So there's not many. And what that tells us is we don't live in a place where we think about that, that uh, very much. Now, I do remember that day myself. I was um, eight or nine years old. 
and I was living in South America at the time. My family lived in, in Venezuela for uh, five or six years, and uh, that's where I graduated from high school. And in Caracas, where we lived, there's a gigantic mountain. It's called the Avila. Has anyone ever seen the Avila? Anyone? All oh, right, my wife. Good. Okay. Um, it's a it's a huge, gigantic mountain that overlooks Caracas, and uh, some folks got together, and they invited us to cross over the Avila Mountain. Now, that is a brutal exercise because you can climb it, but they wanted to go all the way to the other side. The other side is the ocean, and it's way, way down. Caracas is fairly high in altitude. In fact, it's 70 degrees the whole year round, and it, it, it's cool, 60 to 70, because it's high. But you go over the Avila, and then all the way down to the coast. And so they invite us to do that. And it's a hard thing to do uh, walking, but we did it in, in, in a Jeep, and the road was this dirt road filled with big, gigantic ruts, this type of thing. And it took about eight hours. And they forgot the water. They forgot anything to drink. It wasn't my fault. I was only 10 years old. But we get up the mountain all the way to the top, and we're going down the other side, and I was just so brutally, brutally thirsty. And I remember... We were so thirsty. The problem, every once in a while, you'd run uh, along the path, you'd run into um, kind of a shack where, where some folks lived, like small farmers or that type of thing. And we were so desperate, um, as we're going down the mountain, we approached one of these shacks, and, and we couldn't ask for water because the water would, wasn't good. It would get us sick. So we... Um, one of the guys um, asked for oranges, one of the men. And he went up and, he, and this woman came out and he says, two chenas naranjas, naranjas. Two chenas naranjas, that was not an exaggeration. Do you have oranges? My brothers and I are going, oh. This, this woman's, como? Two tienes naranjas. And, and eventually, he, by doing something with his hand or whatever, he, she was able to figure out she didn't have naranjas or naranjas or anything else. And, and, but anyway, we were, we were dying. So we left that place, and we still, it was three or four hours later. And I just remember when I got to the coast, going into the restaurant, I was about to die. And they just, whatever, they brought us all uh, Cokes, which dehydrated us even more, I'm sure, but uh, we didn't know that type of stuff back then. But um, I, I was so incredibly uh, thirsty. But listen, the point of all this is, there is a point to this. It says they were wells without water. People who show up at church, at this church, are often in a place of incredible thirst. They're incredibly, they show up very, very unstable. It says in verse um, 14, they entice unstable souls. Some of you have a testimony that you could give us. The first time you came to this church, you were a mess. 
And, and, and his point is, is that when a person comes in to a church and the word of God is there, and instead of giving them the word of God, they water it down and give them a bad substitute, it's even making an incredibly thirsty, unstable person even worse. I don't know how many stories we have in this church of people who have, have, have been to ministries, been to churches who, it's a miracle after what was taught them there that they ever went to another church. And, and to tell people when they come in that their sin is not really sin, that is one of the most cruel things you could do to someone because sin's the problem. Our problem is sin. And, and that's what he's warning about here. That's what Jesus warned about. That's what Paul warned about. Paul says, for, I, I, I warned you every day for three years with tears. This is a big deal. Watering down the word of God is a big deal. In our church, we paid a heavy price for just teaching the word, the plain and simple word of God. I have personally, I don't want you guys feeling sorry for me. I love what I do. I have paid an enormous personal price for teaching the word of God. And I'm, I really appreciate this chapter, chapter two, because it's, it's a message for you, but it's also a message for me, Steve. You better not compromise on my word. It goes on. It says they promise them liberty, and this is always what they do. Sure, you're, you can be in this um, lifestyle. It's a liberating thing. It's freedom. It's your own choice. They, they promise them liberty, but they themselves are slaves to corruption, for by whom a person is overcome, by him also he is brought into bondage. For if after they have escaped, still speaking of here, these uh, false teachers, after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In other words, these people, they were never saved, but they were exposed to the knowledge. They were exposed to the Bible. They are again entangled uh, in them and overcome. The latter end is worse for them than the beginning, for it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than having known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. I just take that and I praise the Lord for that warning to, to my heart and for your hearts as well. Verse 22, yes, this is the last verse we're going to be in. Uh, now you can buckle your seatbelts, but it happened to them. According to the true proverb, a dog returns to his own vomit. Some of us know dogs like that. And a, that's quoting Proverbs, by the way, in the Bible. And a so having washed to her wallowing in the mire. That's speaking of pigs. After even if you can give them the best bath in the world. We actually used to have a pig, uh, our family. Man, you could wash this pig, where they, any pig, and, and they will go right back to what they, where they came from. Just the mud, the muck, the mire. And Peter's like, such is the end of these people. Wow. Ay, 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 ay. I am thankful for this chapter. 
I am very thankful for it. God wants to keep us walking forward, and there's so many voices out there trying to pull us off the glorious path. Jesus said, I came that not only that you would have life, but the abundant life. He wants us living the abundant life. He wants us, but that means following his word. With all that, we are going to close with communion. We're going to have our own love feast here. That's what the love feasts were in the early church. They were communion. They shared communion. So if the worship team could come up, we are going to have communion. And so, you know, what am I, how am I supposed to introduce communion after a chapter like that? Well, I want to go back to, I want to go back to verse one where it says the Lord bought them. I mean, just think about the description of these men and women and just the depths of the the evil that they got involved in. And it says that Jesus died for them. He had such a better plan for them. That's, you can't out-sin the grace of God. You can't do it. It is impossible. And and it it, it, it was the blood, it says, that cleanses all our sin. It was the blood. And that's what communion is all about. It's about just remembering the blood and what it has done for us. The Bible says that in and of ourselves, we can't get to heaven or even have any kind of relationship with God because there's just, we got too much of a record in our past too much of a record of violating the word of God. But it says the blood of Jesus cleanses all of our sin. And you know, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, it says, for that reason, before you take communion, examine your own heart. Don't just go take communion where you're laying hold of some kind of thing in your life, whatever it may be, that you know is wrong and it's against the word of God. Don't just lay hold of that and then get up and have communion because that's like trampling on the cross. That's trampling on what Jesus did for you. I'm not talking about this week or even this morning, you committing some kind of dumb, stupid thing. You yelled at your husband or yelled at your wife or kicked your dog or whatever that you're broken about and you have no intention of saying, yeah, I have a right to continue. I'm not talking about that. I'm just, you you don't want to go to the altar of God and take communion where you're, you're still, there's something in your life that's, you're holding on to. The great news is that Jesus died not only to pay the penalty of your sin, but also to give you the power over it. And so if you've been asked to pray, please come up at this point. The, the worship team is going to start. If you would like prayer um, for any area of your life, you know, Bible says even anxiety, we shouldn't be, even with a, some kind of st- stressing out in our life, we shouldn't go take communion without first just presenting that to God and letting it go. Let go and let God. That is something 
a, a teaching that you can get from the Bible. It, 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 there's, there's a lot of truth to it. You just got to let go of that thing and, and, and give it over to God. And if you want prayer to let go, please come up at this time uh, for, for the communion time. But also, I just want to add this. You know, if there's some sin or some unforgiveness in your heart that you're really struggling with, you know, pr- come up and, and, and pray. We'll pray for you there. But also, really important that, that, that communion was given by Jesus to children of God. And I myself did not become a child of God until I was 22 years old, even though I'd been to church growing up. The Bible says you're not born a child of God when you come out of your mother's womb. It says that you are born a child of God when you, by faith, Except the gospel. And, and, and we already talked about that, that, that you were created, a man was originally created perfect in the image of God, but he chose sin, and so did you. And so did I. And, but that relationship with God was broken when man, woman, when you chose sin. But that Jesus, the Son of God, came into the world because his Father loved you so much he wanted a Savior for you. And what is a Savior? A Savior, Jesus was your Savior, meaning he, he died lived a perfect life to credit it to your account. He, he, he died on the sin to um, pay the penalty that was due to you. He rose from the dead to give you new life. And, 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 and becoming a Christian just means believing that by faith, just accepting it. And entrusting your life over to God. Every, every person born into the world, unfortunately, we spend a good part of our life sitting on the throne of our own life. Becoming a child of God mean, meaning, means stepping off that throne and saying, Jesus, come and, 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 and get on the throne. If you've never done that, I'm going to be up here. You can just come up here and I can pray with you. It's a simple prayer of faith asking Jesus into your life. And so as the worship team begins, uh, please come up and pray. Can I have a, a couple other prayer uh, couples up here? And as well, um, you can just sit there and worship as the worship team uh, is, uh, is singing. And at your leisure, in the back, we have cups and bread. Uh, at your leisure, just go back and get the cup, get a piece of bread, and uh, come back to your seat. And we'll have communion together. Okay. Let's worship.